Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 15th of July 2010. Now I always suggest at the start of this show to get it out of the way that newcomers look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website. You'll see a lot of other sites I've got listed there on the front page and you should bookmark these for future use in case the column goes down, which it does once in a while. They all have transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given over the years in English for print-up. And if you want transcripts in other languages plus the audios, you can also go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu, the European site, and choose from a variety of languages. While you're at it, remember that you're the audience that bring me to you because I don't take uh, money from advertisers and bring them on as guests and so on. Uh, the ads you hear in this show are paid by advertisers directly to RBN to broadcast the show and to pay for their technicians and their equipment and their bills. And we all got bills, so you have to help me with mine. Go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, see the books and discs I have for sale. And remember, you can use a personal check. Some people send cash. And outside the Americas, same idea. And that keeps me going, just trickling over. It's not a business. This is not an enterprise. And I'm just out here because, as I said, 10 years ago or more, um, I had to come out at the right time and just start seeing what was happening because no one was talking about these, uh, uh, the particular agenda at all, the real agenda, the big world agenda and eugenics and uh, the new uh, controlled society that the whole world was to go under, and we're going under it now. That's why I came out in the first place and get it off my chest, basically. And there's so much to it, I tried to put it out in little bits, connect it, the dots for the people, to show them the big picture. I tried to stay away from uh, just the daily events, because the media is there. It's the same media that keeps you in the dark. It will churn out... Lots of events every day to keep you howling and screaming and afraid. That's their job. But they'll never tell you what's really going on and why you're going under the controlled society, a form of commutarianism. And I'll be talking about that tonight because it was designed a long time ago. It was designed before they set up the League of Nations and then the United Nations and the Royal Institute of International Affairs that is often mistaken, often mistaken for left-wing policies, even communist uh, were the ones who helped draft a lot of it up. And there's think tanks who have work with the agencies they put out there and the NGOs. They're all around you. They're forcing us all into it. We're like the hub of a wheel. And in the outer rim, you've got these spokes growing towards the hub. We're in the middle. We are the hub. And all these agencies, thousands of them, are all working through education and NGOs and fake agencies, really, uh, to get us into the new communitarian society and the, the greening projects and all of that. That's all part of it to make sure we get the message. So I'll be back with more after these messages. I'm Alan Watt, and we're back cutting through the matrix, talking about something that's called many things. The big society is one of them. And it's the new world order again, it's governance, it's all of these things. It's a trained obedient society in communitarianism. It's all part of what George Bush Sr. has called the new world order. 
He mentioned a thousand points of light would bring it about in one of his talks. They're all vague little things he was putting out there because his scriptwriters wanted it to be very vague except for the insiders. But they gave us buzzwords which become more and more common. But the thousand points of light, as I say, were the thousands of NGOs and agencies uh, that were training and, and already in um, circulation, basically promoting ideas via media, which they got great access to to the people, and they were in education too. But part of it too is to do with, um, of course, ecology. Ecology is a big thing, the greening plans and all this kind of thing, how we, we must serve the planet. And of course, we've got high priests who tell us how to serve it. Uh, they always give you high priests for new religions. And he, many people have called it a new religion. Even Gorbachev, he, in one of his books, he said, we are creating uh, a new world religion based, that must be based on a, f- a form, a form of earth worship. Well, that's exactly what you've got with ecology and the greening program. The children being raised at school now are the perfect little uh, indoctrinees, and they will come out spouting all the proper things to you. I'm sure they're already nagging their parents about waste and all that kind of stuff already. In fact, they are. I get letters about that. But they're put on eco-fees, and Ontario mentioned last week, eco-fees. If you look into even, um, say, a litre or, or a pint of oil for your car, you'll see this uh, eco-charge on it. It's across the board on pretty well everything. And here's the Toronto Sun on this, because we take everything in Canada especially for granted. They're the most passive people on the planet. They're, they truly are the most passive people on the planet. Uh, there's nothing going on there except there's a ball game on tonight and where's the beer? And, and that's really the society and the culture that's been given to them. But this is from the Toronto Sun and it says, uh, the new Ontario eco-fees charged to consumers on thousands of products are illegal, consumer and legal experts say. It's an illegal fee, Mel Fruitman, uh, Vice President of the Consumers Association of Canada, told the Toronto Sun. It's an add-on fee, and there's nobody in this country who's allowed to put a tax except governments. As far as I can tell, unless they slip through something quietly in the middle of the night, when everyone was sleeping, including me, they have no authority to do this. And Clindy Todrum Cherniak, a sales tax consultant or council affiliated with Lang Michener, I guess that's a company, LLP, said the fees are not permissible under the provincial government's own Waste Diversion Act or the Constitution of Canada. It looks like a tax and it smells like a tax, so how is it different from a sales tax? Todrum Cherniak said, what you've got is the tax being passed on from someone to the consumer, which means it's an indirect tax, and under the Constitution Act, the province can only impose direct taxes. They can't impose indirect taxes. Now, how did they get them in there? Well, you see, you have lobby groups that seem to be, um, uh, these lobby groups seem to be private, as far as I can tell, uh, because you go into who goes around encouraging the big companies like Canadian Tire and such what to do. And um, this one here is, is I come as under stewardship. Who are we? Stewardship Ontario. Very important term, stewardship, because you see it's part of the whole greening sustainability movement and your children already are indoctrinated into uh, using these terms, stewardship and governance. This is Stewardship Ontario. And it says, who are we? And you, you scroll down trying to find out who exactly they are and they try not to give it away that they're a private company. 
is put this tax on. They go around all the biggies and get them to put the tax on for them. Now, who's getting the cash? I have no idea. But the fact is, it's an illegal tax. So everyone, I hope, you know, who's off the bottle in Canada can, can, can go to their um, stores charging this, these taxes and look, for goodness sake, look at that receipt you get at the end. Don't just chuck it away and see the, if you have the eco-tax and go back and say, you don't want to pay that, give me the money back. Because it's your money they're stealing. Uh, and this is to go across the board in every country, and I think it is already in a lot of different countries. Now, commutarianism, as I say, an idea um, set up really for those who set up the whole New World Order for the 20th century into the 21st century, and the, t- the whole 21st century, I should say as well. Uh, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Dash CFR, they're a higher inner group. They always have an inner group. It's always an inner party and an outer party. And the inner party know the whole agenda, the big secrets, you see. Now, there's a very good article here, and it's called um, Our Common Community, and it's from the UK column. Very good article by Nikki Rapana. And it says, Americans have a lot more in common with the British than many may realize. On both sides of the Atlantic, there's a very quiet and totally identical revolution underway. Commoners from Alaska and London face the same enemy with the same name. What binds them in a way that surpasses all others is the simple fact that neither side knows exactly their enemy, what their enemy is called. It's not hard to notice cameras on every street corner. Their parents may still need personalized retraining, as the Soviets did, but every school-aged child has been taught their new responsibilities and requirements. Our national government's new and very serious concerns regarding our health and smoking and drinking and overeating and exercise is impossible to ignore. And I'll jump to a very important person who's written about that too in one of his books after this. To continue, it says, it's no joke anymore that we all may have to pay global taxes on the air we breathe. Inside, uh, it says here, um, inside our private homes, we're all dealing with a whole new bureaucratic system that assumed the role of our new big mother. What we share in common is we're all children in big mother's global communitarian family. I do know communitarianism is a mouthful to say and a challenge to spell, but it's the most important word you'll mumble aloud this year. It's used to slipping into the mainstream a little more each month, and I think they're gearing up to unveil it before the unwashed masses. Actually, they are. They're going to use this as an excuse to get out of the mess which they brought on so they could bring it in. Everything happens for a purpose, and that's why they pulled the economy when it was time. Some of you may remember when it was introduced by Tony Blair and New Labour as the third way, like Alvin Toffler. Uh, new Philip Blonde, or now Philip Blonde, is reintroducing communitarianism as the newest theoretical political answer to what ails us. The British Conservative Party under David Cameron is leading the British communitarian resurgence. See, all the parties are in it. They're the same, you see. There's no difference. Former U.S. President Bill Clinton in a TV interview on April 18, 2010, described Americans as more diverse and commutarian now. This was just the latest of Bill's assertions about American commutarianism, a repeat of speeches he's made in Toronto, Montreal, and Berkeley over the past year. Very important, as you understand. That's why these guys don't retire. They're still retained by their masters. 
For once in his public-private career, Bill Clinton is not lying. Commutarianism is a political system that gives authority over individuals to unelected community stakeholder councils. Now, you're going to hear this term in your papers. I've already seen it in newspapers. You're a stakeholder in your community. In fact, that who are we one with the, the, the Ontario eco-fees also use that. You're stakeholders. Everyone's a stakeholder in your, your local area. A stakeholder is defined as a group, person, organization, or system which can be just about anybody or anything. You'll find the term used in just about every government and grant-funded project in existence today. It's always used as if it means you. Forming partnerships with stakeholders is an effective way to bypass voters and taxpayers living in affected regions. The community goals and missions always include raising public awareness. They'll, they'll tell you what it's to be raised about and where to go, and advising legitimate government bodies how to adopt the new communitarian laws. Never identified as that, though, unless it's a former communist new member, EU state like Serbia, Croatia, or the Czech Republic, or Bolivia, or and Peru, with their new openly communitarian constitutions. And they are. They've been given communitarian constitutions with their all stakeholders and shareholders in their own community. Claiming to include more citizens in the democratic process, communitarian councils do just the opposite, and they continually seek more power. Bill's right. We're all communitarians now. What that means to us is anybody's guess. Most people will adopt the vague party line and agree it's a fresh solution to partisan politics. The libertarians will tell you they like the part about giving power to unelected, self-appointed community councils, who have the communitarian power to regulate everyone's personal life in the community. The Catholics will tell you they just hope a communitarian spirituality is included. The Protestants, Jews and Muslims don't want what seems selfish, so they'll assume a moral value in it somewhere too. See, they've got something for everybody, you see. The left will dismiss it as a right-wing conspiracy theory, and the far right will call it a communist plot. Here's the part of, uh, that our politicians and the experts never tell us about commutarianism. It's also the law of Euro the European Union. And that's right, folks. It's going to be the law of the NAFTA as well for America and Canada and Mexico. It's already inching in. It's around you. It's within your communities already. So it's the law of the European Union. Communitarian law is the entire basis for the supremacy of law clause that overrules all national, state, county, and municipal laws in conflict with it. Lots of really smart people will go to great lengths to explain the theory, how some parts of it make real sense to other smart people. Those same smart people will probably tell you they don't know anything about law part. Uh, sorry, it's just a, big, a benign social theory, they say, one that rose and fell already. Nothing to worry about. Others will tell you the law is a conspiracy theory. I'll be back in a moment with more on this. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and we're cutting through the Matrix reading an article which explains pretty well, although briefly because it's much more complex, of course, if you go into the integrity workings of it, commutarian law and the communities that we're going into, they're already here. And you don't even know that yourself, that there are agencies and NGOs set up in your communities getting money from government funding, from the UN as well, and from, and from various other organizations and foundations to guide the new societies. As we're going downhill, you see, 
As I say, that's why they pulled the economy now. They could have kept it going with their bubbles for another 50 years if they wanted to. Sky's the limit. There's always a fraud. So why burst it now? Is to bring in this and then say, oh my goodness, we have to cut, we have to cut back police forces and so on. There's going to be a lot of crime in the areas and what we do about garbage and so on and taxes or so. Well, guess what? You'll all go to meetings in your communities and all participate, you see. That's your stake in being a stakeholder, you see. Now it says here, communitarian law is the law regulating all community-based government. At the top level, it represents the global community. The middle level, it represents the regional community. At the bottom, it represents the local community, not to be confused with local government. In October 2004, Professor Jan Mazak, PhD, Constitutional Court of the Slovak Republic, published one of the most amazing descriptions of the EU I've ever come across. In it, he details the immediate applicability of the communitarian law. He explains that the Slovak constitution gave the Slovak government the power to sign an international treaty that transferred some of the republic's power over to the EU courts, telling in no uncertain terms that commutarian law overrides conflicting national laws. Remember, as I say, this has all been arranged with NAFTA as well. There was one news report that identified the French and Dutch referendums rejecting the EU constitution in 2005 as based on voter concerns about the EU supremacy of communitarian law clause. But both times the Irish voted on it, I couldn't find any Irish articles or debates about the EU communitarian legal system Ireland was adopting. I thought that a matter of such importance would become a primary issue in a national vote over joining the EU and never even became a minor point. The three of communitarian justice, economics, very big part is economics, by the way, development, morality, and morality is a big part of it, so is your health care and your self-policing of your health. Policing and mandatory volunteerism are not up for debates. To join or not to join, that's the only question. But the real dilemma is this communitarianism is also the philosophical legal theory for global sustainable development. Communitarian supremacy is a moral philosophy justifying new land and resource use regulations under UN Local Agenda 21. You don't need to accept EU-style regional government to become communitarians. Yes, the EU communitarian system of harmonization and norms is a model for all the emerging trade unions from the Middle East to South to Africa and South America. But we already adopted community government hook, line and sinker when we changed our national mission statements to adopt sustainable development principles. Americans, like their neighbors across the sea, are manipulated back and forth between the right and left, and then they're admonished for not thinking more communitarian, whatever that means. Communitarianism enriches experts, stakeholders, and compliant citizens only. Individuals who can read and think for themselves need not apply. Voters who insist their national and state law reign supreme in their nations must be re-educated into more moral, enlightened thinking. Our common destiny requires we all share one common purpose. We can forget common sense. It's completely outdated. Now, Common Purpose was one massive organization set up, as far as I can tell, by the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It brought in members of the, the European movement that, were, that helped set up the integration of Europe. 
and and they went on to to form Common Purpose and work with Chatham House. They train future leaders to be your leaders in the community. They pick them at school, folks. Make sure they have the right indoctrination and the right ability to stick to what they're told to stick to, have good lying abilities, of course, be very charming at the same time. In other words, good psychopaths, they've already got them trained to appear at the right time for whatever purpose it happens to be. And America has its own version of common purpose working steadily all through its system, so does Canada. And they even get local community funding from your councils and your government for this charitable organization. And believe you me, this is what's coming in. This is the system that is coming in. It's already a good part way in and you don't realize it yet with your green police enforcers and your garbage enforcers and so on and so on and so on. But you will, like George Orwell had in his book 1984, you will have to participate. You will have to attend meetings eventually and they'll want to know why you didn't attend. Are you unsociable? It will work too. Because most folk cave in. They can't tell people to saw it off. Now, Many organizations are working this, this whole uh, act here, and there's many of them under different names. Now, Bush Sr. also talked about the big idea when he, when he was asked about the New World Order. And one, one of his little readings, readings of his script, that is, he said it was a tool to bring in um, possibilities, a world of possibilities. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. And the idea, the big idea that Bush talked about is, they use these buzzwords again at the top. We're not really supposed to know what's really behind things. We're told the fronts and how we're given pictures of green and all that stuff to make us all fuzzy, but they don't tell us what's really all about. Well, he's one of these organizations that's for communitarianism, and this is how they put it to you. And this is about the big society, you see, with the big idea. And it says, we must be the change we want to see in the world. So we, we're the change, you see. Mahatma Gandhi. It says, the big society is a society in which we as individuals don't feel small. Does our society pass this test at the moment? Well, only four out of ten of us believe that we can influence local decisions. Only one in 33 of us attend public meetings. And see, it's our fault, you see. We feel anger and frustration at the recent behavior of both the city and Westminster and relatively powerful or powerless to change them. We're often anonymous taxpayers without a real sense of how our money gets spent. Most of us try to be reasonably good citizens, but our influence seems very small. The Big Society Network is an organization being set up by frustrated citizens. You just, oh, it's ordinary folk are setting this up. This is frustrated, you see. Uh, to help everyone achieve change in their local area. See, change is good, you see. Our aim is to create a new relationship, a new relationship between citizens and the government, in which both are genuine partners. You see, you're a partner now, you're a shareholder and a stakeholder, you understand? And getting things done. Real democracy using all the human and technological tools we now have available. This partnership will also add a third and fourth leg to its sturdy chair by involving business and the voluntary sector. See, everybody's to be in on it. 
as well as helping you get things done as an individual. And you do not care yourself apart from the taxes. Anyway, we also want to help you meet up with other people in your area with the aim of discussing what you want to share and change together in order to make your neighborhood stronger, safer, and more enjoyable. And of course, they'll, they'll, they'll give you the guys that will say it all for you and they'll become the leaders, obviously. You know, they're trained already, but I won't, they won't mention that here. Our aim is not only to create the largest cooperative or mutual in Britain, but to create a mutual that is Britain, that is Britain. Every citizen can be a shareholder, contribute, receive help and rewards. The network is, above all, practical. It's an enormous toolbox of advice, case histories, links to people and resources, using the power of the Internet, mobiles and face-to-face action. Wow. Doesn't it? Oh, poor, it's like a movie it gets you going, eh? Doesn't it? Hey, really, you join this stuff and sit in the chairs and and say, yeah, I'm not happy about this. And then the expert will jump up in your community and says, well, let's pass a vote and that we'll all volunteer for X amount of hours to, in a week to clean up the stuff, right? You know, yeah, yeah, okay. That's how it goes, you see. We're guided by the nose. Because what rings in our noses, like, like tame bulls, minus a few, a couple of things that would make you a bit more aggressive. But anyway, that's what's about. This one of many are like that, you see, all getting funded from the top. The big idea, the big society, communitarianism. They're all over the place, all through the U.S., all through Canada, too. And one day you will. See, your children already are getting geared to attend these meetings when they leave school. And you'll be expected to turn up as well. Why weren't you there? You see? You're antisocial. <gasps> That's how, that's how it runs it. That's how it runs it. See, part of this whole world society too is about how we've got to pay and distribute the wealth across the world, just like Karl Marx advocated. Isn't that amazing? Karl Marx advocated the same things back yonder, eh? And here it's all come to pass. It's amazing. It's just amazing. It's come to pass. And we find that um, we find that the rich countries are to pay energy giants to build new coal-fired power plants. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Don't you feel good about you in the states and Britain and Canada paying to have new coal-fired plants built in India and China? Because you see, under the GATT treaty, there, regardless of, of the income and the multi-trillionaires are creating over there, they're still third world countries, apparently. Until they themselves say they're not. And that's up to them to say when they're not under the treaty. Anyway, it says, the UN's clean development mechanism to use European carbon offset credits to subsidize 20 efficient coal plants in India and China. Meanwhile, we've been told to cut, cut, shut all ours down in Canada. And we'll probably start getting brownouts when, like Europe, when they tell you, by Wednesday's your day, no electricity on Wednesday. <laughs> That's coming. That's coming. This is all part of, as, as what Quigley said, the Royal Institute of International Affairs is, and what they do and the different organizations they rule over are often mistaken for being communist because they have many of the same plans and agenda in common. The sharing of your wealth across the world. And this article here is from the Guardian.uk. 
It says the UN is set to channel billions of pounds, not be dollars as well, of public money from rich countries to giant energy companies to build 20 heavily polluting coal-fired power plants on the basis that they will emit less carbon dioxide than older ones. And that's been exposed as nonsense too, the way they're putting them up. Data seen by The Guardian shows that 12 companies have applied to the UN. They applied to the UN for your dough, by the way, for hundreds of millions of emission reduction credits to subsidize efficient coal-powered plants in China and in India. Many of the plants would be paid for by carbon offsets brought by British and European companies in lieu of cutting their own emissions. So the fake nonsense that when they look in the sky, stick their finger in their mouth and test it, you know, and some big wig says, oh, there's too much carbon in the air. We better, we better pay the UN so much carbon emissions today. Carbon credits. Well, they give it to China and India. This magic nonsensical act that only really insane people would believe. If, as expected, the power company applications are approved by the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change. Did you know they put that through on the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change? Did your media tell you a darn thing at the time? No. They will earn around £3.5 billion, or $7 billion, at current carbon market prices. This will make the UN body set up to promote clean energy and reduce global climate emissions uh, one of the world's leading provider of funds for new coal burning as well. So here they are, putting off smoke in India and China, but you can't do it here. No, you cut back here and, and austerity, austerity, mind you. Go to your, your local communitarian meeting and they'll tell you how to... Maybe we can all, all see who's got extra sweaters and, and share them when we're freezing in the winter. Says so the rush by companies to take advantage of the UN's clean development mechanism subsidies follows a successful application for credits by the Indian Adani Coal Group for two large power stations at Mundra and Gujarat, India. Adani will earn around £25 million a year for the lifetime of its power stations in return for using supercritical technology which burns the coal at lower temperatures. It says and emits up to 30% less carbon dioxide than conventional power plants. Yadda 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 nonsense. In other words, they're backhanders getting it. They're all getting cash in this. It's backhanders. Backhanders is under the table. And that's how it's all about. And I'm sure the ex-director of the IPCC, or maybe still there, uh, will be in in on that because he's one of the biggest businessmen in, in India. Now, back to communitarianism and the future. Now, Jack's Atali, Jack's Atali, is up there at the United Nations. He was uh, the, the top advisor to uh, French presidents, Mitterrand and other ones. And he didn't go to, in fact, most folk went to see him. He really ran the show. Number two is all the, always the boss, not the guy they put in front to take the tomatoes and the rotten eggs. And he wrote the book, um, uh, A Brief History of the Future, published in 2006 in French initially. And he also wrote a book before that called, before 2000 and 2001, he called it Millennium, uh, Winners and Losers in the Coming New World Order, where he said what was going to happen to America, and it's pretty well happened. But flatten it economically. Massive immigration from the South, he said, would be akin to the invasion of uh, the various Goths and Visigoths and all the various Goths, etc., that came into Rome, flooding in from America with their gangs too. And so they knew all that was going to happen back about 1990 or so. 
And here he is giving us the future. Now, a lot of what he's talking about is already here, but he attends the top think tanks as well. And he says this on page 123 of A Brief History of the Future. He says, public administration will be overturned by the use of new methods of communication, particularly of the Internet, which will permit the running of public services at lower cost and with immediate results. To manage this merchandised time, two industries will dominate as they already do. Now, guess what they are that are going to run you? Insurance companies and entertainment. You know, insurance companies have more building projects going on than the banks put up money for. They have for about 30 years. But it's more than that. It's your personal insurance because now you'll find out why. You've got to be healthy and you've got to not smoke. You've got to be underweight and so on and so on. On the one hand, to shield him against risk, the rational response of every player on the market. You see, you're a player on the market as well. It says, will be and is, already is to insure himself, in other words, to protect himself against future uncertainties. Insurance companies and the risk coverage institutions of the financial markets will complete social security regimes and will become, if they are not already, the planet's leading industries, both for their turnover and for the pro- profits they reap. For the poorest, microinsurance will be an essential tool in reducing insecurity. To escape financial insecurity, on the other hand, everyone will want to amuse himself, in other words, to protect and to distance himself from the present. Entertainment industries, tourism, movies, television, music, sports, live shows and shared play space will become, unless they already are, the planet's leading industries, judging from the time it takes to consume their products and services. The media will enjoy a greater hold over democracy. The media will enjoy a greater hold over democracy. See, the essential arm of government is media. And over citizens' choices. Both options will also be the pretext for illegal activities. Racketeering is the criminal face of insurance. Drugs and the sex trade are the criminal versions of entertainment. And I've always, always said that there's above and below. And the, the same people run both versions. The same, the same people run both versions. It's like the legal system. They run the legal system and the illegal system down below. It says here, he's going around 2040, but probably a lot sooner. It says, the essential will begin. It will cut massively into the cost of organizing market democracies, reestablishing the profitability of industry, gradually reducing the role of states to zero. You will become nothing. We're already coming nothing now. And destroying little by little the polycentric order. Adding as the engines of growth, new objects will take over from automobiles, washing machines, and nomadic objects. That's as portable. These will be surveillance objects, replacing many traditional state-run functions. I shall call them the watchers. You're going to buy your own watchers, folks. You already are buying them. Uh, services such as education, health, and sovereignty, all this will be slowly replaced, as was the case with, with transport domestic services and communication by mass-produced machines. This will once again open new markets for business and raise the profitability of the economy, since this will mean manipulation of services essential to social order, indeed the foundation stones of states and peoples. It will radically modify relations with the individual or collective imagination, with identity, the life, sovereignty, knowledge, power, nation, culture, and geopolitics. 
And now we stand before the most sweeping revolution awaiting us in the next half century. These watchers will not spring forth ready-made from the imagination of crazed researchers or technicians touched by the hand of God. They will be responding to the financial imperatives of the mercantile order, always on the lookout for new ways to reduce the time needed to produce existing objects, to raise network capabilities, reduce collective expenses, enhance the use of their time, and transform, and transform, and here's the important part, as Bernays said, desires and needs into commercial wealth. They know, they work on your, your unconscious. This process will go through two stages, which I shall call hyper-surveillance and self-surveillance. Now, your communitarian part is part of the self-surveillance, by the way. When the law of the market starts to prevail over that of democracies, public services, education, health, uh, care, security, and then justice and sovereignty, will begin to face competition from private enterprise. States will be expected to treat chains of foreign hospitals as public hospitals and affiliates of foreign Uh, private uh, universities as national universities. Private security, police, that's why you're getting all this hype, they're laying cops off and the crime's going to skyrocket. You're getting ready for all the privatization, folks. And information will compete with national police forces in surveillance uh, of movement and data on behalf of insurance and commercial companies. These will want to know everything about their employees, clients, suppliers, competitors and risks. They will also want to protect their assets, material, financial, intellectual, against a range of threats. This transfer to the private sector will gradually reduce public spending and help save on scarce resources. It's all part of this sustainability part. As we've already seen, it will become part and parcel of the host of services, making it possible to track objects and people. Nomadic ubiquity opens up to hyper-surveillance when whoever is connected leaves traces of his passage. Well, they're putting the stuff in your clothing and everything, nanotechnology, to track you everywhere you go. Private services will then manage social rights and administrative services. They're talking about local government and government too. We'll be in a position to receive an administrative document or an allotment by paying more. This is already the case with Great Britain. In many places, the state is henceforth relieved of the burden of countless decisions entrusted to high independent authorities that relieve the state of all responsibility. To put it in different terms in exchange for a tax cut that will above all uh, benefit the wealthiest and penalize the poorest. And he's not saying it because he wants to be. He's talking the truth here. He's impartial. We shall henceforth have to pay for public services. And since these competing private enterprises will have to spend considerable sums to attract clients, which a public service does not have to do, the service's final cost for the client will rise accordingly. Users, private individuals or businesses will become consumers obliged to pay directly for their services, whether in the form of a direct purchase from providers or else in the form of premiums paid to insurance companies, private or public, as a substitute for tax revenue, which will plummet. These insurance companies will demand not only that their clients pay their premiums to insure themselves against sickness, joblessness, death, theft, fire, and so on, but will also verify that the clients conform to norms to minimize the risks they will be called on to cover. We're we're all one big insurance risk, folks, and that's what's going to run the system. Back with more after this break. Reading a, a few pages from a, a brief history of the future, a United Nations guy, Jack Satali, 
who's right up there uh, with the, the boys in the know, talking about the future and what's planned to come down. It's, there's no doubt about it, it's a plan. And uh, insurance companies will be the big stick, really. It says here they will gradually come to dictate planetary norms, uh, what to eat, what to know, how to drive, how to protect oneself, how to consume, and that's all part of the greening too, how to produce. They will penalize smokers, drinkers, the obese, the unemployable, the inadequately protected, the aggressive, the careless, the clumsy, the absent-minded, the spendthrift. Ignorance, exposure to risks, uh, wasting and vulnerability will be considered diseases. So wasting stuff under the sustainability will be considered a disease. Other businesses will also have to comply with norms in order to avoid industrial disasters, accidents or external aggression and even the wastage of real resources in a certain way. All businesses will be thus forced to take account of general interest in making their decisions. Some will even make their citizenship, and citizenship is going to be a big thing, world citizenship, a dimension of their image and their competence. You already have it, world citizenship, by the way. And it says, and that's by the way too, think about it, insurance too, uh, it's interesting how uh, Lenin talked about and um, uh, that these agencies, health agencies and so on, would, would start off as services and become authorities over the public, all paid for by, guess what, your tax money for insurance. Businesses will once uh, re- respect the norms imposed on them by the insurance companies and their turn require their collaborators, a part of whom uh, the contributions they will pay, to comply with other norms. Monitoring, here you are, self-monitoring, monitoring one's health. You've got to constantly monitor your health. Your knowledge, what you know, are you politically correct? Are you up to date with your download? Vigilance and property, being thrifty with rare resources, keeping an eye on one's health, training and protecting oneself, and more generally, staying in shape will become socially necessary behaviours, and they'll make sure that you're at a communitarian meeting when they weigh you and so on, or point you out in front of the others to shame you for being a bit over. For the insurance companies to pay off economically, everyone, private, industrial or business, uh, must therefore agree that a third party verify his conformity with the norms. For this, everyone must agree to be monitored. The era of Big Brother, earlier proclaimed but only partially implemented, will become the norm. Uh, Surveillance is the master word for the times ahead. First of all, a kind of hyper-surveillance will see the light of day. Technology will make it possible to know everything about the origins of products and movements of men, which will much later imply essential military applications. Sensors and miniature cameras installed in all public and eventually private places, in offices and in recreational areas, and finally on the nomadic objects themselves, that's your portable objects, will monitor all comings and goings. The phone already allows us to communicate and be tracked. Biometric techniques, fingerprints, iris shapes of hands and face will allow for surveillance of travelers, workers and consumers. Countless analytical devices will make it possible to monitor the health of a body, a mind or a product. A mind's interesting, eh? A nomadic object will be permanently traceable. All the data it contains, including images of everyone's daily life, will be stored and sold to special businesses and to public and private police. And they already are sold to the police, by the way. I've got all the data on that. I should put it up sometime. Well, I hear the music coming in, folks. And an hour is awfully, awfully short to, to try to get some stuff out. I've only scratched the surface for you, but I hope it helps. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your God's go with you.